Well, this morning we're going to read out of the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be beginning in chapter 10, verse 35, and reading through verse 45. Let's put this in context. Jesus has just explained to his disciples about, uh, in rather somewhat detail, that he is going to Jerusalem, that he will be rejected, he'll be turned over, betrayed to uh, the Gentiles, that he will be mocked, that he will be scourged, and that he will be crucified. So it's uh, uh, with that in mind, the disciples trying to take all that in and so forth, that we come to the very next verse, which is rather unusual. Let's listen to this, Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. In other words, we want to ask you a favor. And Jesus said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us that we grant us to sit one of us on your right hand and one on your left hand in your glory. Now, this is amazing, isn't it? I mean, this is absolutely stunning to me when I read this. You read in the context, Jesus just talked about his agonizing death that he's going to experience in Jerusalem, and the disciples come, these two disciples come to him, James and John, the sons of thunder, they're called in another place, so they're pretty outspoken, pretty demonstrative. They're the two men that... One time a Samaritan village didn't repent at the preaching of Jesus. And when they got outside of town, James and John said, Jesus, call down fire on them and just burn them all up. And Jesus said, no, no, I hadn't come to toast people. I've come to save people, you know. And so, uh, but that's the kind of spirit they have. They're very aggressive, very outgoing. And uh, they had uh, actually been uh, the sons of Zebedee, who was a, commercial fisherman he was pretty wealthy apparently because he had servants as well as uh, his sons helping him in the business so uh, so they may have felt like because of their uh, privileged position as sons of a uh, successful commercial fisherman or it may be because they along with Simon Peter had been kind of the inner circle of Jesus. They, uh, uh, when it would, when they would go certain places, Jesus would take all of his disciples certain places. And the Bible says that sometimes he would take Peter and James and John a little further with him. And so James and John may have got to thinking, well, you know, uh, we're pretty special, I guess. And so they come and say, yeah, Jesus, I know you're going to die and all this kind of stuff. But, but look, when you come into your kingdom, we'd like to ask that one of us gets to sit on your right hand and one on your left hand. One of us will be the Secretary of State, the other one will be Vice President or something like that. And so Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. You just, you don't have a clue what you're even asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? 
He said, are you, are you, you guys don't know what you're asking for. Are you, are you ready to experience what I'm going to experience? Are you willing to drink the cup that I'm going to drink and, and experience the baptism, the being overflowed, overwhelmed that I am going to experience? And they said to him, we're able. Yeah, we can do it. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand or on my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Now, the other ten disciples, they, standing off to the side, they, they heard what James and John were asking. And so it says, and when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Does kind of comfort me a little bit to know that even among the disciples there was conflict from time to time. When I first became a Christian at age 17 and the Lord called me to preach three days later, I knew that God wanted me to be a preacher three days later, I was so excited. I was thrilled. I've heard people talk about fighting the call and fighting the call. I didn't fight the call. I said, Lord, that's wonderful. I get to be a preacher. I get to I get to tell people about your love. I get to tell, and I'll even get to be a pastor someday, and I'll get to be with people that all love one another. And I could not imagine churches ever having squabbles and fights until I became a pastor. <laughs> and I mean, the very first church that I pastored, not well, I pastored a little mission for a year before that, but the first church that I pastored, it was the fightingest church I've ever seen. They fought about everything. I mean, even the deacons fought about everything. Every time we had deacons meetings, I felt like we ought to give out boxing gloves because it always turned into a big fight. And I was just totally shocked. I thought, well, I thought everybody was going to love the pastor. And I thought everybody in church was going to love each other. I couldn't imagine Christians fighting with one another. But then I began to read the New Testament, and I find that Paul and Barnabas had a conflict, and Peter and Paul had a conflict. And here, even among the disciples of Jesus, one group is indignant at another couple of them. And so uh, the ten heard about it. They were all, they began to be mad at James and John, and Jesus called them to him and you know, said, come here, guys. And he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. He says, you know how it works in the world. You know that among the, out here and among the Romans and the Greeks and all these people, they all want to be rulers. And you know that the, the rulers are the ones that have the greatest number of servants. The rulers, the most important rulers, are the ones that have the greatest authority. 
and the most people that they rule over. But it shall not be so among you. Now he's getting to us here. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you, listen, must be slave of all. The word that he uses for servant, by the way, is the word diakonos. We get the word deacon from it. He said if you want to be, it's the word that initially meant one who waits tables, one who serves other people. And, uh, and so whenever you go out to eat, you go to Applebee's or somewhere like that, and your waiter comes over to you, you can say, did you know you're a deacon? And uh, he'll look at you kind of funny. But, uh, but the word initially meant one who, who waits on others, one who serves others. So he said, if you want to be great, then you must be a servant, a diakonos. But then he uses the next word, whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And he uses a different word here, the word that means a, a, a bond Slave, one who is who has no rights of his own, one who is totally under authority and owned by a master. For even, and this is a key verse, by the way, in the whole Gospel of Mark, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Or many. Boy, what an amazing passage of Scripture this is. It tells us a little bit about the disciples themselves, doesn't it? It lets us know that they totally missed what Jesus was all about. And isn't it amazing that people can go to church year after year after year, can read their Bible, and still just be totally overcome by selfishness and pride rather than wanting to serve and give themselves away to others. Pride is the seed sin of all other sins. It's the source, the root cause of virtually all conflict in the world. It's, uh, it was the original sin. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and the serpent came to Eve and said, uh, if you'll eat of this tree, you will be like God. He's appealing to her pride. You will be able to make your own choices, do your own thing, and not have to be under the authority of God. You can be like God yourself. So pride was the original sin. It also was the sin even prior to that that cost Lucifer his place in heaven. The Bible tells us, you know, people, kids ask me, why did God make the devil? I'll tell you, God didn't make the devil. God created a beautiful, wonderful worship leader in heaven. Lucifer 
one of the, as far as I know, one of the three archangels, Michael and Gabriel and Lucifer, seemed to have been the ones that were the archangels, each of them having a third of the other angels under their authority. And the Bible says that Lucifer, which the word means the light bearer, the one who shines light, carries light, and Lucifer was the one who was actually in charge of of the music in heaven. Nothing uh, wrong with being a music leader, of course. Uh, but, uh, But as... Lucifer was bringing all this praise to God from all the universe. The Bible says there was sin found in him, pride found in him. And he, in essence, said, uh, it's not right that he gets all this praise and I don't get any. Why do I have to be the channel of the praise? Why can't I be the object of the praise? And he said, I will ascend to the place of the Most High. I will exalt myself. And the Bible says that immediately he was cast down. So pride is what created the devil. And then pride is what ruined the race. And pride is what breaks relationships. Listen, so many marriages today are hellish rather than heavenly because of the arrogance and the pride in the marriage. And when you've got King James... And Queen Mary, both trying to rule, you're going to have a real problem. And that's the reason, by the way, that God has set up order in the home with the responsibility of the husband to make final and major decisions that will affect the whole family as he submits himself to God's leadership. And the wife, to be the one who says, I want to follow my husband as he follows Christ. And I will honor and respect his right to make major choices. And when that order gets all out of, out of order, you just got a lot of conflict. And when you've got two sovereigns trying to rule one kingdom, you've got civil war, right? That makes sense? And uh, so what do you need? What do we need? We need both of those sovereigns to die to their sovereignty and to yield to one sovereign, Jesus. And King James says, it's King Jesus. I'm the servant. And Queen Mary says, it's King Jesus, and I'm the servant. 
and then there can be peace and harmony in the home. So pride is the source of just about all sin. Uh, I just put into my concordance this week, my computer concordance, pride, proud, haughty, arrogant, words like that. Just going to see how many verses there were that dealt with that. It was about eight pages, small print. I'm telling you, God hates pride. He hates the proud, arrogant, haughty look in the heart and on the eyes of men. If you were to look at in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, the Bible says there are seven things that God hates. Usually we don't think of God hating anything, but you can't really love without hating. Did you know that? If you love somebody, then you hate anything that would try to harm that person. Seven things God hates. And the very first one on the list is a proud look, an arrogant, haughty look. That's Proverbs 6, 16. Listen to this passage in, uh, well, there's so many. Uh, Proverbs 16, 5. Can you put that one up there, Proverbs 16, 5? Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. Just if, if that was the only verse dealing with pride, that'd be a shocking verse. When everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. In First uh, John two sixteen, we're told there are three great sources of sin: the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Proverbs twenty nine twenty three says, "A man's pride will bring him low." Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, "Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before stumbling." And then James chapter 4 verse 6 and also 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 5 says that God resists the proud. The word therefore resist is the word that means stiff arm, to put out a stiff arm. God resists the proud. But the rest of the verse says, but he gives grace to the humble. You say, man, I want God's grace. Well, then humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. There's just so many other verses. I'm just going to. Can you think of illustrations in the Bible, people in the Bible who were destroyed because of pride? Can you think of uh, your turn? Can you think of some people in the Bible who who were noted for their pride and their arrogance? And as a result, we're destroyed. 
All right. Now, when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and said, if anybody that will look will live, and the Bible says some of the people were so prideful that they would not even look, and they perished. I think of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, who stood against Moses and Aaron, they said, God has said, let my people go. And Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not honor the Lord. And he, as a result of that, was destroyed. Can you think of another king? Think of a Babylonian king that was destroyed because of his arrogance and pride. There were actually two of them, I think of. Nebuchadnezzar was one of them. Nebuchadnezzar went out, the Bible says he went out and he looked at all of the great Babylon that he had built and he said, oh, I am so wonderful. I Look at all that I've done. And the Bible says, and God said to him, because of the pride of your heart, you will eat grass like a cow for seven years and you will live out in the woods and dew will cover you and you will have the heart of a beast instead of a man. And immediately, the Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar was stricken with this, what? Uh, I can't remember what, lycanthropy or something like that, where a person actually thinks he's an animal. And Nebuchadnezzar, for seven years, the mighty king of Babylon is rummaging around out in the woods, eating grass like a cow and sleeping in the woods rather than in his palace and thinking he's an animal rather than a man. And after seven years, the Bible says, God released him and gave him his mind back. And he then repented. And then his son was a man named Belshazzar. Belshazzar decided one night that he was going to have a big, wild, crazy, month-long party. And he's getting drunk and doing all kinds of evil, wicked things. And then he says, bring those utensils that we took from Israel, from the temple when we destroyed it. Bring those cups and those things that had been dedicated to the use of God. Bring them out here so we can drink out of them. And they start having this wild, irreverent, blasphemous party. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that the hand a hand began to write on the wall. And it wrote, Mene, Mene, Tickle, you farson. That's not money, money tickles the parson, it, but it sounds kind of like that. It? Mene, Mene, Tickle, you farson. And they couldn't, he said, what, what does that mean? And Daniel had been summoned, and Daniel said, I'll tell you what it means. It means you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. It means that tonight 
your kingdom will be taken away from you. And the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar's knees smote together. Have you ever been so scared your knees shook? And that very night, Nebuchadnezzar, I mean uh, Belshazzar. Did I say Nebuchadnezzar? I meant Belshazzar. Belshazzar died as the Medes and the Persians invaded his kingdom and killed him. What a horrible, horrible sin is pride. And then if you type in humility and humble and humbleness and so forth, You'll also get a long list, not quite as many, but quite a list of people who are who did humble themselves before God. Micah 6, 8, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and it says, What does the Lord require of you, O man, but to love mercy and to do justice and to walk humbly? with your God that's what God wants from our life he wants us to humbly walk with him and do the right things and love covenant mercy well you just I'm going to skip a bunch of these others because there's so many of them but I I want you to see that this pride invaded the hearts, invade the hearts of all people. But we see it here among the disciples as James and John say, we want to be important. We want to be important. And uh, that is a, a drive that most people have. I want to be honored. I want to be important. I want people to think, highly of me because of my position or whatever. And we have to be careful about that. The fact is, you know, people say, I want to be given the place I deserve. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because what we deserve, anything we have is better than what we deserve. And some people have this idea, well, don't you know who I am? About this man that went to the airport and he wanted to be bumped up to first class and and he thought of himself as an important person and the lady at the desk said, well, I'm sorry, our first class is full. And he said, do you know who I am? And she said, no, sir, but I... Duh. Fact is, all of our first class seats are. Do you know who I am? She said, No, sir. And he said, I want to speak to your supervisor. So she got on the phone and said, uh, uh, Francis, could you come out here? There's an, irrita- an irate man out here who has amnesia. <clears throat> he doesn't know who he is. Well, <laughs> I don't think that was what he meant. But a lot of times we, we kind of, we think, Do you, don't you know who I am? Don't you know I'm important? If we go to the restaurant and we don't get the kind of service we want, oh, do you not know who I am? Well, that kind of thinking 
reveals something about us. And these disciples said, Jesus, we want to be in places of prominence in your kingdom. Right hand, left hand, secretary of state, vice president, we want to be important in your kingdom. And Jesus said, you don't even know what you're asking. You want to be in a place of leadership like I'm in? Then he said, are you willing to drink from my cup? Be baptized with my baptism? And they foolishly said, yes, yes, we're able. He said, well, you will, yeah. You will drink of that cup. As a matter of fact, James was the first one of the disciples to be killed. He was the first one to die, not counting Judas who took his own life. And then John was the last of the disciples to die. These two brothers, James and John, who wanted places of prominence, James died before any of the disciples. And John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos and eventually died as an old man. So they did indeed drink of the cup of persecution and resistance and reaction that Jesus had. But then Jesus said, here I have a lesson to teach you guys. The other disciples, of course, heard this, and they were upset about it too. Well, why do they get priority condition? Jesus said, come here, guys. Listen. You know how the world works. We all know how the world works. People fighting for position, clamoring for who can be the boss, who's going to be important, who's going to be great. And uh, he said, uh, that's not the way it is in my kingdom. Importance in my kingdom is not based on position. It's based on serving. I pastored down here at Ovilla for about 28 years. And while we were there, we started a school and had a very, very good school and a good church and everything. I retired there about seven and a half years ago, and then I go back occasionally and substitute teach down there. And uh, one of the teachers down there said to me, said, does it make you feel funny when you come up here just as a lowly substitute teacher, knowing that you used to be important? And I said, well, I actually never... Hadn't ever thought about that till right now. Thank you for uh, bringing that up. But I said, I actually don't feel any more important. I don't feel any less important right now than I did when I was the pastor here. Because the truth is, all of us are just serving God somewhere. And if we're serving in a position of pastor, or if we're serving in a position as the custodian. I don't see one is more important than the other. In fact, I said, 
Yes, I kind of do see one of them more important than the other. I think Brother Jenner, Ballesteros, probably is more important than the pastor of the church. Now, you don't know Brother Jenner, but Brother Jenner Ballesteros is one of the most humble, godly, servant-hearted men I've ever known in my life. He's the one that came to the uh, quinceanera and prayed. And uh, and he has served for 30 years as the custodian at Ovilla Road Baptist Church. And one night, I was going to have to be gone, and I asked Brother Jenner if he would preach for me that night. And he got up and brought the message. And in my opinion, there's no greater servant of God than one who can serve without worldly acclamation and praise. And uh, that's what Jesus was trying to teach. That if you are a nursery worker in a church, then you're serving God. If you're cutting the grass and doing it with the right heart attitude, you're serving God. If you're teaching a Bible class, or if you're leading worship, or if you're playing the piano, or if you're preaching a sermon, you're just doing, you're just serving God and serving people. And Jesus said, in my kingdom, if you want to be great, then be a servant. And if you want to be the greatest, be a slave. So that you say, I don't have any rights. I don't have any, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, uh, Expectation, that's not the word I'm looking for. But I don't have any privileges. I, I just have opportunities to serve. And my only question is, what do you need? What do you want? How can I help? What can I do? And he says, in my kingdom, those are the people who are most important. Isn't that totally counterintuitive to every way we think in our own flesh and in our culture, in our society? And Jesus said, even the Son of Man. I mean, even God, when he becomes flesh on this earth, did not come to be served. But he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says, that he humbled himself. He said, even though he was in the form of God and thought it not robbery to be equal with God, he didn't firmly grasp, tenaciously hang on to the rights that were his, 
but he humbled himself and he became a human. And then as a human, he became a servant. And as a servant, he became a sacrifice. And not just any kind of sacrifice. He humbled himself even to death, even to the death on the cross. That's the Jesus who loves you, who died for you. And the rest of that passage says, God highly exalted him then and gave him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow, every tongue confess. There is a way to greatness, but it is for God to lift us up. But God lifts up those who have humbled themselves. And those who lift themselves up, the Bible says God himself will humble them. He'll bring them down. You want to be great in God's kingdom. Serve everybody, even as Jesus did. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you today for this uh, passage of Scripture that is so contrary to the way we would normally and naturally think in our own hearts and minds. And I pray that you will help us to be asking the question, how can I serve? Who can I help? What do others need? What can I do to help? What can I give in order to serve? And as we do that, your word tells us that if we genuinely do that with a true heart, that you yourself will honor us, lift us up with encouragement and joy. And I pray that you will help us to understand it and to practice it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.